gather together once again to worship you, to learn about you, and to bring honor and glory to your name. Father, I just ask that you'd uh, be with us today and that your spirit would just impart the words that we need to hear this morning. Just ask this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to see that not everybody's camping this weekend, or at least maybe some have traveled back from camping. Um, I just want to say this morning that there was a lot of temptation to, you know, play on the whole July 4th thing, you know, maybe a message on our declaration of dependence or something along those lines. Well, we're not going to do that this morning. Um, the anchor passage for this morning, we're going to be jumping around a bit, but the anchor passage for this morning is John 3, 22 through 30. So if you would turn with me there, uh, we're going to read that and then we're going to be uh, jumping around a little bit and I'm not expecting you to turn to all the other passages, but um, let's go ahead and read John 3, 22 through 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anan near Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, my, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's bow once more for prayer. Father, as we prepare to go through this passage, uh, these passages, and to uh, look at John the Baptist here, Father, I just pray that you'd uh, just open our hearts um, to your word uh, and help us to be in tune with your spirit that we might um, be given discernment, Father. Just ask this in your name. So as you know, we typically work our way through the entire, an entire book of the Bible, um, one verse at a time. But uh, over the past few weeks, Eric has been walking us through our church doctrinal statement uh, point by point. Um, this week, however, we're taking a break from that. And then next week, Eric's going to be coming back, and uh, I believe the subject is going to be the doctrine of salvation. But this week, we have the opportunity to just have a standalone, one-off message, I suppose. And let me just tell you, when you're told you can preach on anything you want, you'd think that sounds great. <laughs> not for me. Uh, there's a certain level of paralysis that I get when I have unlimited options. Nevertheless, um, I did settle on something, and I know that it's a holiday weekend, so I'm going to try to keep it short. I can't guarantee anything. Uh, but over the past few weeks, you've heard Eric say, all theology should lead to doxology. In other words, all doctrine should lead us to worship. Uh, or to glorify Christ. But what about those times where you're not feeling it? You're tired. The study is hard and you're lacking the joy that you once had. I think we all go through those stages, those periods in life. 
And I know the last while I've been going through a bit of a desert. And I really have just been praying for and asking God to renew my excitement, to give back that first love. And there can be a lot of reasons for it. Most of the time we just get busy with life, work, family, and so forth. But it can be very easy to have our focus change. Or even if it's not changed completely, just have it blurred a little bit. Sometimes our relationship with Christ, our searching of the scriptures, it can feel more like an academic pursuit rather than a a passionate one. But it really should be both. The academic study should lead us to worship Christ. And during this time where I've felt like I've been walking through the desert, um, the, the one passage that just kept, or the one storyline that kept standing out to me over and over again was John the Baptist, a man who literally lived in the desert. And here is a man who, before he was even conceived, his life, his mission, his purpose was already set. Um, it was proclaimed by the prophets. And he followed through it in all stages of life with one singular focus, and that was to proclaim Christ. And that's what's drawn me to this story, is he remained true to that purpose, to that mission throughout his life. So that's why today I briefly want to just do, take a little time and look at John the Baptist and compare his calling and response to what our calling and response should be as believers. So let's take a quick look at a few scriptures that speak of John's life. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, the prophet says, A voice in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert a highway for our God. This is a foretelling of John the Baptist's role, his mission. In the book of Luke, we see that John's birth is foretold when an angel appears to his father, Zechariah, while he's in the temple performing his duties. And we see that in Luke 1, Verses 13 through 17, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Before he was ever born, John's life was given a specific purpose. He was to prepare the way for Jesus, to proclaim him to all that would listen, to prepare them for his arrival. And later in the book of Luke, we see that even in the womb, John was influenced by the spirit We see in the next passage a story of when Mary, Jesus' mother, went to visit Elizabeth, John's mother. And we see that in Luke 1, 39 through 44. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth had heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. 
Think of that. Even in the womb, John the Baptist acknowledging or bearing witness to who Christ was and who Christ is. And then as we go in, go on, the writer of the Gospel of John goes on to tell the story of John the Baptist even further. And there's a lot I could say on John the Baptist that I'm leaving out this morning. I'm just kind of cherry-picking a few passages here. In John 1, 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Once again, we can see the calling and purpose of John the Baptist is made very clear. And he was committed to it, even to what some may say is an extreme. Scripture says that from a young age, um, he went and lived in the desert until the time that he was to appear to Israel. His life was not one of creature comforts. While living in the desert, his food was locusts and wild honey. Which I've always wondered why it says locusts and wild honey. Were, were the locusts not wild? <laughs> I'm just, I've, I've always thought that's curious that it, they specifically say that it was wild honey. Apparently they were domesticated locusts. Not only that, but his clothing was rough, made from camel's hair. Now consider the role that his father had as a, as a priest. You can assume that they had a comfortable life. Yet John, on his mission, gave up those comforts and seemed to have lived as a nomad or perhaps, as we would say today, a a caveman almost, to the point when he did appear to the people because of the message he preached and the fact that he had isolated in in the desert, some accused him of having a demon. But when he began, when he began his ministry, he found a hungry audience, and they flocked to hear him. Mark 1.4 says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. His ministry was effective and it was growing. It reached the point where it even caught the attention of the religious leaders and they sent some to investigate. And we see that in John 1, 19 through 23. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And by quoting the prophet Isaiah, these religious leaders would have had no issue connecting the weight of the claim that he made. It was one that wouldn't have gone unnoticed. They had been waiting for one that was to come and be a deliverer, but maybe not the type of deliverer that they were expecting. And jumping down a few verses to John 1, 29 through 34, we see a big moment. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John's purpose in life, his whole life and purpose up to that point, was to point to Christ. And here in this last statement, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God, is almost like a completion moment for his work. The one that he's been preparing for is here, and he has confirmed it to others. Even some of John's own disciples left him and followed Jesus. But what's amazed me while reading about John's life is you can see from several of John's statements that he never wavered in knowing where his place was and where the glory belonged. And here's where we get to the passage that I kind of wanted to focus on today, or the one that inspired me to preach from here. Because right here is where John could have tried to reserve some of the glory for himself, tried to keep some of his ministry, some of his followers. I mean, after, after all, he lived in the desert. He built this. Why well, see it all go to someone else? Well, he remembered where he belonged. And uh, he strayed true to his mission, and it shows the purity of his intentions. Let's once again read that together, now with the perspective of the rest of his life, um, in John three twenty-two through 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anan near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. And they came to John and said to him, now think of this. We've covered this ministry. And now John has lost followers. He's even lost disciples. And they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Do you see the jealousy in John's followers and his disciples? Imagine today um, in our society where the celebrity preacher is a real problem for the church. I am always wary of ministries that are named after the preacher himself. Who is he trying to glorify? Oftentimes his name is bigger, or he makes it bigger than he makes Jesus. Be aware of that. But what if one of them build up a large ministry and suddenly they were to lose a large percentage of those people, a large percentage of their influence to Christ, the one that they're supposed to preach. What would their response be? And this is what I absolutely love about John. He answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. 
He must increase, but I must decrease. And first off, John the Baptist shows a great understanding and humility. Understanding that everything he has, even his ministry, that had become so powerful, could not have happened if it had not been given to him for God, from God. And second, he continues to have a Christ-centered perspective when he says, he must increase and I must decrease. And just think about that. What humility. This man pointed to Jesus his whole life. And even though he didn't have that same following, even though he would soon be facing, facing prison, he continues to point to Christ. So you may be asking, what does this have to do with us? Well, many times in scriptures, in scripture, we see big characters, big names that played big roles. And what is our selfish and self-centered focused response? We say, oh, that's a picture of me. I'm David. I'm going to defeat my giants. Or I'm Moses. I'm going to lead the people out of darkness and captivity and so on. But these characters, these champions of Scripture, they are not meant to be a picture of us, but of Christ. And in fact, Scripture seems to do a pretty good job of smearing each one of these guys and showing that they're not perfect, except for one, and that's Jesus Christ. However, I think when we look at John the Baptist, uh, he is one that we can look to and we can see a lot of parallels in what his role and what his purpose was and what our role and our purpose is. And if I'm wrong on this, I'll be corrected on Friday, believe me. Um, Of that, you can be sure. So um, it's good to have people that hold you to account. But if we are regenerated, born-again Christians, believers in Christ, there are a few things that we are called to do just as John the Baptist did. And this is not an exhaustive list, but in the time of being in a desert that I've gone through at times in my life and more recently, here are a few things that I saw um, in the life of John the Baptist that I think can be for us as well. Number one, rejoice in Christ. Even in the womb when John the Baptist leapt with joy, when in the presence of Christ, how do we respond to Christ? When we experience him in our everyday life, do we leap for joy? Or uh, do we just remain pretty stoic, pretty reserved? Well, uh, you know, I've known Christ my whole life. You know, it's nothing new. It should absolutely be a reason to rejoice every single day. We have a personal connection with Christ. Do we love that? Do we cherish that? When we're new in the faith or riding high on, on a high point of life, it can be easy. But what about when we're losing our influence, when our impact seems to be weakened? What about when we're just tired and life has worn us down? How do we respond then? Brothers and sisters, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our circumstances may change, but he will not. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He intercedes on our behalf unceasingly for the Father. Through him, we have peace with God. Why do you think that that message that John the Baptist had and that he brought to the Israelites was so impactful? Is because people were weary. They were broken down by the weight of expectation 
of trying on their own might to fulfill the law, from being at war with God. But in Christ, we are no longer in that place. Praise God. The good news of Jesus Christ is just as good for us today as it was back then. So if you're tired, if things are hard, rejoice in Christ. Remind yourself of the good news. Jesus saves. He sets captives free. Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That should never get old. And we should never cease rejoicing about it. Rejoice in Christ. Number two, glorify Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to, to enjoy him forever. How do we glorify God? I would encourage you to take an honest look at a few of your favorite accounts on social media. What do they post about? What do they talk about? Most every account that you will look at, and frankly, probably even my own, even though I'm far from an influencer, (laughs) most of them will glorify one thing, and it's themselves. It can take many shapes, many forms, but we live in a society today where our biggest idol, the thing that we love most, is ourselves. It's that plain and simple. What we talk about the most, what we post about the most, that shows others what we want to glorify or who we want to glorify. Be intentional. Yes, sports and entertainment, like, they can be fun. Those things, however, need to be held in their proper perspective. So on a holiday weekend like this weekend, when we're we're getting together with friends and with family, what are we discussing? Is it our lives, our businesses, our hobbies, our favorite celebrity gossip? We should be more excited to glorify Christ. He is the only one that's worthy of it. Is that what we're doing? What we talk about is important. It shows where our priorities lie. If you want to glorify Christ, share him with others. Be excited to talk about him. Be excited to share what he's done in your life. Be quick to speak his name instead of the most recent influencer or sports star. Another way that we can bring glory uh, or bring glory to Christ or glorify him is to live your life in a way that glorifies him. It's that simple. Uh, It's that simple, but it's not that easy. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this doesn't mean that we're trying to earn our salvation. Not in the least bit. But if Christ has changed you, the effects should be apparent. Go to Galatians and look at the fruits of the Spirit. Does your life reflect those fruits? If you've been born again, those should be showing through in some way, sometimes greater, sometimes smaller. But those fruits will glorify Christ, not yourself. 
Because on our own, we cannot produce those fruits. We can possibly produce fake ones, but, or I should say rotten ones, you know. Have any of you ever bitten into a piece of fruit that looks great and inside it's rotten or you bite into a worm? When you taste those fruits, you can know pretty quickly if they're real. And in fact, earlier in that passage in Galatians, we see that what we produce in our own power are called the works of the flesh. It's because we produce them on our own. But the fruits of the Spirit, grow in those fruits. Be in tune with the Spirit. Live an upright life marked with gentleness, patience, love, and so forth. This will glorify Christ and not you. Number three, point others to Christ. Even as John was pointing to Christ, pointing people to Christ before the first time that Christ came, we too can point others to Christ before the second time that he comes. And in fact, if you're a believer, you have been charged to go out and make disciples. You have been charged to spread his word. That's not just for missionaries, it's not just for preachers. It's for every single one of you that claims Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I know that we live in an area with a church or two on every block, it seems. But that doesn't mean that the person that you work right beside every day knows the good news of Jesus Christ. You'd be shocked at how, how many people have no clue. You don't need to eat locusts and wild honey or dress in camel's hair. Although, uh, it sounds like Paul might want to try that. (laughs) But make an effort, whether it's just grabbing coffee with a person and sharing the gospel, sharing what Christ has done for them, that he's come to set them free, to end the war between them and God, that we don't need to struggle on our own. Or perhaps in your context, it looks like leading a Bible study, leading a small church, raising your children well. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe in scope, not in importance, but maybe it's going to the mission field. Maybe it's being called to start your own church somewhere. Whatever your context, preach Christ every day, big or small, and do it faithfully. This matters. There is eternity at stake for these souls. So point others to Christ. That's the example we see from John the Baptist from beginning to end. Although even in the end, John showed that he could fall to doubts, fall into doubts. And that's what I want to look at in number four. Number four is where we, when we're in a desert and when we feel like things are dry, that we're not refreshed, that's when our only response can be, turn only to Christ. Even John, whose life had been dedicated to proclaiming Christ when in prison and in a hard time, 
Even he, the one who saw the Spirit descend like a dove, even he questioned whether Christ was the one who he thought he was. Luke seven nineteen through 23. Calling two of his disciples to him, he sent, I think I typed that wrong, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is coming or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? In that hour, he healed I think I've got the wrong passage typed in here. But Jesus answered the question and he said, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John sent those disciples to Christ and he asked, Are you really him? And Jesus didn't respond with a simple yes. How often would we like to have our questions and our doubts answered with a simple, clear yes? Jesus didn't do that. He said, look at the proof. Look at these things that have been done. Who else could have done them? When we are in a time of drought or drought or questioning, turn only to Christ it won't make you less of a Christian to let him know your, your doubts and your struggles. He will answer you. Look at the proof in your own life. Once again, not for your own honor and glory. But the mercy and grace of Christ alone will have its effect in your life. And you will see the fruits. So don't remain in your weariness. Continue on through the end. Be delighted in Christ and proclaim him in the good times and bad. When you're feeling it or even when you're feeling low, he is the only one worthy of praise. He is the only one who changes lives. So let's proclaim him. Every single day, may our declaration, our slogan be, he must increase and I must decrease. Worship team, I should have told you to come up about three minutes ago. But can you say that today in your life? Can you truly say that? That you must grow smaller and Christ must grow larger. In, the eyes of your, in your own eyes and in the eyes of others. All praise, honor, and glory to Christ and him alone. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in that hard time, if you're struggling, just keep pointing to Christ. Don't be afraid to tell him about your doubts. He'll reveal himself to you and keep pushing on. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, this morning we just thank you that you are the living water, that when we are in a time of drought, when we're going through periods of depression, loneliness, whatever it may be, you are a refreshment.
Father, help us to have a singular focus. Like John the Baptist, where we know with certainty that our whole purpose, our whole goal goal is to proclaim you, to point others to you, to glorify you. And help us not to be distracted, Father. Would you just renew in our hearts a, a zeal, a desire to see souls brought to the kingdom. We just ask this in your name. Amen.